Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org WOA. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking. Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler amassed all the things needed to win a GOP U.S. Senate primary, a strong base of support, high-profile endorsements, and conservative policy positions. But a bigger question is whether she can stand out in a crowded field of Republican contenders. On this edition of Politically Speaking, the Harrisonville Republican explains why she should be the nominee, and she provides her take on a host of hot-button issues. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum. Joining us in studio, not via Zoom, she is St. Louis Public Radio State House and Politics reporter. Sarah Kellogg. And also joining us in studio, she is the Congresswoman for the 4th District and one of six major Republican candidates for the U.S. Senate. Yes, Vicki Hartzler. Glad to be here. Um Honored to have you in the studio today. I'll just start off really simple. Why are you the best candidate to be the GOP nominee in the sure. fall? Well, I think it, it comes down to experience as well as character. And by experience, I mean life experience. You know, I am a lifelong farmer, and that is Missouri's number one industry as far as agriculture. I'm also a former public school teacher, and I've been there fighting for our kids to have quality education. I'm also a small business owner, so I know how to create jobs and the impact of taxation, regulation, and inflation on our businesses and want to grow them, increase wages for the people, uh, hardworking Missourians. But I'm also um, a wife and a mom and a fighter in Washington who has a track record of getting things done. And that's what we need right now. We're facing multiple crises in our nation, economic crisis, a border crisis, energy crisis, a national security crisis, uh, a moral crisis. And this, these are the things that I have that track record of of fighting and passing legislation on behalf of Missourians that is needed on day one to be able to take the reins in the Senate and get things done. But I'm also a person who cares deeply about the people of this state, and I think that is the basis of anybody's public service, is they have to know and they care about Missourians. And that's who I am. I'm out in my district all the time. Over the last year, I've been everywhere in Missouri and listening to them, caring about them, seeing what I can do to fight for them. And I think that matters as well as caring I'm a, a strong person of faith, and I think it's important to have a leader not only fighting for them, but also praying for them. Before Sarah asks her next question, have you been to Worth County yet? I have not yet, oh. so that's on my list. Oh, I think that's the smallest Missouri county, if I'm not mistaken, but continue, Sarah. <laughs> You've gotten a lot of key endorsements from U.S. Senator Josh Hawley to the Farm Bureau Pact to former Senator Kit Bond, but some of your detractors say that's evidence of the, quote, establishment backing you. What do you say to that? Well, that's a 
these are leaders from Missouri who've actually got things done and care about Missourians. And certainly, I don't think anybody could call Josh Hawley establishment. I mean, he has been there making waves, but standing up for Missouri, and we're so proud of him. And I'm very grateful for his endorsement. You know, he's not only a champion for our conservative values from Missouri, but also in our nation. Uh, and so I'm honored to have the opportunity to work alongside him now and want to work directly with him in the Senate. And I, I'm grateful for what he said in that, you know, he's endorsing me because Vicki Hartzler has the, she cares, it has the, has the character, the integrity, the heart and the grit and the toughness that Missouri needs. To, and he can't hardly wait to work with me. So I'm, I'm very grateful for his endorsement. Now, before we get to specific issues, I want to talk about one of the first ads that you ran. And it was advocating against trans girls playing girls sports. Some would argue that's not a high priority given everything else going on in the world and that attitudes towards LGBTQ people has really shifted since you started in Missouri politics in the 1990s. What would you say to that? Well, it's something that is emblematic of the shift in our culture that is frustrating so many Missourians right now. Just the lack of common sense, all in the name of political wokeness. You know, I used to be a track coach, and it is just really disheartening for me and so many girls and women across this country that have worked tirelessly for years to see their records being broken and taken by biological men and and uh, their scholarship opportunities and their medals. And this is just crazy. You know, biological men should be participating in their own sports. They shouldn't be allowed to participate in women's sports. How many? I don't think that there are that many examples about this in Missouri. And how would this be dealt with on a in the U.S. Senate or in Congress? Wasn't this more of a local issue? Well, not really, because it all goes back to Title IX, and Title IX was passed in 1972 by Congress to give women equality in education and in sports. And since then, it has made a huge difference for women in the number of women attending college, but also the number of women having the opportunity to participate in sports at the high school level and the collegiate level. And it's just wrong. Uh, that people are just turning a blind eye and saying this is okay, and nobody's standing up for these girls in sports. And there is legislation that I've co-sponsored in Congress saying that if you're an entity, a college, for instance, or university, that receives federal dollars in Title IX, that your policy needs to make sure that uh, biological males do not get to come and participate in women's sports and take away their medals. So there is a federal nexus for this, and I'm fighting for that on the on the national level. And this ad certainly let people know who I am. Uh, you know, I'm well known in my 24 counties in the 4th Congressional District, but I'm running against individuals who've won statewide and they're known all over. And there's a lot of people in Missouri who didn't know who I was yet. And so this was a way to show uh, that, you know, my background as a teacher and a coach, but also someone being a fighter, someone who's standing up for our common sense values that are being uh, pushed aside by the woke left. There was an effort to ban trans girls from participating in sports within the Missouri legislature this year. Again, that counter argument that Jason was talking about, there's not a lot of cases of this or instances. It would maybe probably impact fewer than 25 people maybe in Missouri. You know, why focus on this as opposed to larger issues that are impacting more Missourians, more Americans? Well, like I said, this is just emblematic of just one of the ways that our culture is being uh, uh, attacked by those on the left. And people are frustrated and they, they just say, this is not right. Um, and it, there was everything from the vaccine mandates where they're not giving religious exemptions or and they're forcing people to wear masks when they don't want to. And now we're having um, 
people being denied medals. And there's at least 28 instances where, in across the country, that women have lost championships due to biological males being allowed to participate in their sports. And so, you know, I'm I'm willing to to stand up for them. And that's what people need to know that I'm a I'm a fighter for Missourians and for our Missouri values. You've gained some attention because you said you would not support former Governor Eric Greitens if he wins the nomination. Wouldn't that hurt GOP efforts to retake the Senate if? your lack of support causes the Democrat to win. Well, I'm running to defeat Eric Greitens so that we don't have that problem. Um, you know, there is the concern that if he wins the primary, that we could lose the state. And that would be devastating because we really do need to take back the majority in the Senate. That's why I'm running uh, to help stop this train wreck from the Biden administration, which is with their runaway spending, fueling inflation at a 40-year high, have a wide open border, um, we were energy uh, net exporter before his policies, and now people have $5 gas almost. And we are at a very dangerous place on the world stage, all of this because of the Biden's uh, poor policies. And we've got to take back this Senate, and Eric Greitens would uh, certainly cause us to potentially lose that. So let's talk about the issue that is most top of mind. We are just a few days past the Supreme Court striking down Roe versus Wade which means that abortion is basically banned completely in Missouri with the exception of medical emergencies, no exceptions for people that become pregnant due to rape or incest. I asked you this at Boys State, but I want you to reiterate, like, are you okay with this trigger law not having exceptions for rape and incest? I'm for life, and obviously any unplanned pregnancy is a difficult situation with no good options. But I think there are better options than uh, an expectant mother killing her baby uh, because of this. You know, I'm a big proponent of adoption. I'm also very supportive of several pregnancy care centers that are here in Missouri that provide women in these times with support throughout their pregnancy and afterwards. And every life is precious. No matter how that child was conceived, they, they, it deserves to live, and it doesn't deserve to die. And that's, that's the reality of abortion. People don't want to you know, talk about it, it's, but it is ending a beating heart. And that is a life that could go on and be, you know, contribute to society, maybe find a cure for Alzheimer's, or who knows. We've lost 63 million Americans through abortion since Roe versus Wade passed. What, we, we are all missing out on having them here with us uh, and what potentially that could have meant for us. And I, I'm excited that more babies would have the chance to live. Democrats have argued that this law is way too extreme and will turn off voters. What would you say to that? Well, I think the Democrats' proposal that they've shoved through the House and is over in the Senate is the extreme measure, which would allow abortion up until the moment of birth. And that would put America on par with seven other countries in the world, including North Korea and China, um, as the worst violators for life. And that's what the Democrats' position. That is what is extreme. When would be examples, though, when at nine months there would be an abortion, though? Wouldn't it have to be like an extreme medical emergency for that to occur? No. The way their bill reads is for any reason. Somebody just changes their mind. They could have an abortion how much that would happen, I don't know, but I don't think it behoves America, who's in the Declaration of Independence, one of our most foundational rights that we established is the right to life, to embrace that uh, barbaric uh, policy. 
There's been some conjecture that this ruling may be a precursor to go after other things like gay marriage or access to birth control. Do you agree with this? Why or why not? Oh, I don't see that. I haven't heard any discussion about that or thoughts about it. I mean, people are just focused on life, and that's what Roe versus Wade was uh, was talking about. How do you think this ruling will affect the election cycle? Do you think it could prompt increased turnout among voters who support abortion rights as opposed to those who are anti-abortion rights? Well, it, it might on both sides. You know, uh, the thing about Roe versus Wade is that it turns it back into the, uh, gives back the decision on abortion to the elected representatives. And that's where it belongs. As the justices rightly said, the Constitution does not provide for a right to abortion in the Constitution. That is something that should be decided by elected representatives. And so I'm sure people who care about both sides of this are going to be interested in the candidates, what their positions are, and will come out and make their uh, voices heard. And that's the way it should be. So you ended up voting against legislation that President Biden just signed into law that does a number of things, provides money to states with red flag laws, bolsters the, the country's mental health system. Why did what? Can you yeah. just explain your decision on that? Yeah, and it, it was something that I looked at very clear, carefully because there was some good provisions in there. I supported the mental health provisions. I uh, also supported hardening our schools. I've co-sponsored several bills to provide more grants to our schools, so I supported those sections of the bills. I also actually had a bill in it that I co-sponsored uh, that allows and sets up a federal clearinghouse where schools can go and others, and, and it lists all the different grants that are available to them to protect their schools. And so it had my legislation in it. The thing that ultimately caused me to vote no is because I felt like the red flag provisions do violate our constitutional rights, and as well as the 1821-year-old extra scrutiny for them. It, it's just disparate from other ages. I think it's discriminatory towards them. So those things, uh, whenever you're talking about taking away somebody's right, uh, I think it meets a high bar you have to pass constitutionally, and it didn't do that. Are there any restrictions on firearms that you would support? Well, we have hundreds of laws now across this country, a way that, you know, how you can purchase it. There's background checks. Uh, I think that, you know, makes sense. Uh, a five-year-old can't buy a, a gun. I mean, those make sense. So there are hundreds of laws right now already on the books. And, you know, I, for the most part, support those. Moving on to inflation and gas prices, because we're just we're just talking about all the issues here that are top of mind. There's a there's a lot of issues going on in the country. There sure are. What what would you do to specifically address inflation? Yeah, we'll, we first of all need to quit spent mo- quit spending money in Washington that we don't have. That has what has fueled this. This is a Biden inflation. Uh, by he, when he passed the he called it the American Rescue Plan. I called the American Disaster Plan, throwing another one point nine trillion dollars of tax money out there into the economy. Then the transportation bill, another over trillion dollar bill. Uh, the You know, it's caused inflation. So we need to quit spending money. Secondly, we need to address the supply chain issue because the definition of inflation is too many dollars chasing too few goods. So it's been a, a double whammy that we've had too many dollars out there. People had all this money. They wanted to spend it. And then because of COVID and supply chain issues at the ports and lack of truck drivers and lack of Americans going back to work, 
there wasn't the supply. They And so the, the few goods we had, the prices went up on them. And so you need to get people back to work. You need to address the supply chain issues. That includes getting more truck drivers, having more port opportunities, quit pay- paying people to stay home, encourage people to get back to work. Those are some basic things. But certainly energy is a large part of the inflation problem. And that is a self-made crisis by President Biden announcing a war on American energy and going after it and shutting down the Keystone Pipeline, not allowing leasing of federal uh, oil drilling on federal land, um, you know, not approving the LNG export permits, taxing and regulating our energy companies. All those things have cut down our supply, and so the price has gone up. And we should be making American energy here using the resources we've been blessed with rather than going over to Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, and Iran and asking them to increase their production or buying it from Russia like Biden did. Now, now one thing that people would say is the Keystone XL pipeline would not have been finished by now to help gas prices now. What, what would you yeah. say to that? Well, it was getting close. Uh, it was getting close. And why would we shut that off and turn to uh, other countries that don't even share our values and try to get money, uh, I mean, oil from them? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense at all. So we need to encourage all of our energy production and from our friendly neighbors, allow that oil to come in. But didn't Republicans also contribute to inflation by voting for tax cuts in 2017 and for large COVID spending packages in 2020? Well, the tax cuts did not, you didn't see any uh, inflation caused by that. In fact, wages went up, job, we had record employment in all areas, all demographics. So it was a real boost to our economy. And, um, you know, the COVID packages, they were needed at the beginning. I did support them. We were in a real crisis. We didn't know what was going on. Things were shutting down. But uh, certainly I did not support the one this year to throw further fuel on the fire. And sadly, when that hit, it just really uh, shot up the the inflation. We're going to take a quick break right here. But when we come back, we'll have more Politically Speaking with Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler. And we're back on Politically Speaking with Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler. She is one of the six major Republican Senate candidates. I, I want to talk about the January 6th committee because you have been really critical of this committee existing. And we've heard all sorts of things from people that were very close to former President Trump or who were in his administration about about everything that happened that day and everything leading up to that day. Like, Why don't you feel like there should have been a committee looking into this? Well, I, I think it was you know, proper to look at what happened that day. And I just think this committee, the way it's formed, it's illegitimate right now. I mean, it's not following the rules of the House. First of all, Pelosi didn't allow the minority uh, leader, Kevin McCarthy, to appoint the Republicans that he wanted. And um, so he, you know, basically, you know, they've, she appointed herself, uh, Liz Cheney and Adam Kins- Kinzinger, and so it's not following the rules, and it's not covering the, all of the questions that I think Americans deserve to know, such as did how come Nancy Pelosi turned down National Guard uh, coverage and help? It was I've heard that two different times National Guard were uh, offered to come and help, and she didn't. She ultimately oversees all of the safety of the Capitol. Why weren't the uh, Capitol police officers? well-trained enough? How come they didn't have adequate equipment? Um, and, and how come there was intelligence about this altercation that 
that was not conveyed to the police officers themselves. I'm friends with many of the Capitol Police officers, and I was heartbroken by what they endured. And I feel like this committee is just going after one thing. It's po- you know focused on going after Trump, and they've turned it into, instead of a legitimate uh, committee investigating all of the that what happened and figuring out ways to make the capital safer, that this never happens again, they're just using it as a political witch hunt because they don't like President Trump. I do want to fact check you really quickly. There was a claim, I looked that up on the AP, and it said that Pelosi did not direct the National Guard. And furthermore, as the Capitol came under attack, she and the Senate Majority Leader called for military assistance, including the National Guard. Well, I heard that a couple of days before, though, she it, there had been an offer and, and she had turned it down or, or something like that. But that's... You know, those are things that, uh, you know, since there are not other Republicans there, the full five members or whatever, they don't have that opportunity to ask those questions and the public hear that, you know, the answers. I asked Billy Long a similar question. I understand where you're coming from here, that Republicans were upset that Jim Jordan and Jim Banks were booted off the committee. But, like, why not just replace them with two other people? Like, why not have, like, Jason Smith and... Billy Long be on that committee. They would have yeah. been done just as well as those two. Instead, it seems like you all took your ball and went home and put yourself at a complete disadvantage here. This is almost like an own goal situation. What would you say yeah. to that? Well, I don't think Pelosi has the right to to kick off our people. And that's what she did. And somebody has to stand up to, to her. Uh, so that's what our leader did. And, and I support that. You know, if we deserve, the American people deserve a free and fair uh, and unbiased investigation, not one that's politically driven and run by, you know, one party. And uh, just clearly she set the stage that this wasn't going to be a fair and uh, it was going to be skewed to come out with a predetermined outcome that she wanted just because she doesn't like President Trump. You've also expressed concern that people who were arrested on January 6th are being treated harshly. But couldn't you make an argument that storming the Capitol to try to disrupt the transfer of power is a very egregious offense, especially given all of the violence? Yeah, I think anybody who committed a crime needs to be punished. And they just deserve the same rights and protections as anybody else does. And what I just... I'm trying to get to the bottom of is really are they being treated unfairly or not and there's so many different stories out there on the internet but this is a huge issue in my district I am contacted a lot by people saying you know how come you're not standing up for these people what are you doing Uh, so I've been trying to get to the bottom of this information I'm not an attorney uh, but you know I it is concerning, certainly what happened. I was there in the House. Uh, it was horrific. But it's also concerning, too, the allegations that you just have one certain people that are of a one political party treated differently than others. And, you know, there's a lot of stories of really horrific treatment of individuals. They haven't even been charged yet, solitary confinement, not getting enough food, all these things. And I'm just trying to get to the if that is truly happening or not. And it's hard to find those answers. So I'll make a similar statement to what I said in the, in the Billy Long podcast. I, I think Joe Biden won the election and not because I think Donald Trump is bad or terrible or anything, but it's based off my experience covering elections in St. Louis which were overturned because judges found that electoral abnormalities were enough to change the outcome. And we saw time after time after time in 2020 that allegations were put before judges and judges even appointed by Donald Trump rejected all of them. So how could there be any doubt that Donald Trump lost the 2020 election when 
the judicial branch looked into a lot of this stuff and didn't find anything credible to change the outcome in enough states to have Trump win. Well, I haven't followed all the different lawsuits in all the different states, but I don't do know that there was some cases where the judge did not look at it. You know, so you can't say the judge looked at it. They, he didn't take up the case. They didn't actually examine the evidence. And it was frustrating for me as a legislator that they didn't, because that was supposed to be the judge, the job of the judges to hear, have hearings and look at the evidence. It's not supposed to be the members of Congress. But uh, I did vote to not certify both in Pennsylvania and Arizona, looking into it as the extent that I could in the limited time that I had based on what state officials did in both Pennsylvania and Arizona uh, with their elections contrary to the laws of the state. Mm -hmm. Clearly, they violated their state law. And so I did not have confidence that there was a, a fair election. The returns did reflect accurately in those states. And so I, I felt confident enough to not certify those two states. But uh, it, it's a shame that there wasn't a, a more thorough look at a lot of the, the things. But now we're seeing, you know, uh, more information come out by independent sources. There's a movie, uh, 2,000 Mules. If you haven't seen it yet, I encourage you to do that, which is very concerning, uh, showing video footage of multiple people stuffing uh, ballots in several of these key precincts in several of the states all hours of the night and being paid to do it. But was that enough? Like, first of all, I haven't seen that movie, You're so right. I can't make a judgment on it. But was that mm -hmm. enough to change the outcome in any of these states? Like, well, and if, they, if it was, why wasn't this put before a judge? And why wasn't this yeah. litigated to a point where it could know. be overturned? Because I, I mean... Anyone can make allegations, but the allegations have to be credible enough to actually go through the judicial system. Yeah. Well, it takes a while. You know, this movie just came out. Uh, somebody to track all this stuff down. You know, I don't know the, the answers to all, all of that, but I just know the time we had, there was a lot of questions and there was concerns. But what we're living with now is an administration that is running our country. And so I'm looking forward to the next election, which is this November. That's why I'm running for the U.S. Senate, is because Biden who is running the country right now, is running it. He's running our economy. People can't put gas in their car. They can't afford their groceries. Uh, this is crazy. We have an uh, invasion at the southern border. Every state is a border state now, and that's because of his failed policies. We don't have energy because of his failed policies. We have a war in Ukraine and other parts because of uh, the, the weakness that he has displayed, his debacle in Afghanistan. So we have to change things moving forward, and that's what we're focused on now. We're going to move on to the topic of Ukraine. Why did you vote against the $40 billion package of aid to Ukraine? Well, that was uh, another bill I looked at very closely. I supported the military portions. I've supported that in the past. I'm a member of the Armed Services Committee, and I want to see the Ukrainians win and have the equipment that they need to be able to defend themselves. The, what gave me concern was the, I believe it was $15 billion that wasn't going to the military, did not have any checks and balances, didn't have an inspector general overseeing how those funds were uh, distributed. And, you know, when we have a $30 trillion debt here in our own country and a lot of constituents concerned about inflation, you know, how can we justify just going in debt further and giving money where there's no accountability? So, um, you know, we're moving forward now, and, and I'm still supportive of the 
people of Ukraine. Uh, we'll see if there's you know future packages. In fact, we just passed the NDAA last week out of the House, and I believe it had about 500 million more dollars of support uh, for U- Ukrainian military, which I which I do support. It's important that we stop Putin there, and I'm not sure he's going to be stopped there. Uh, if we do not get behind Ukraine, he has visions of being a czar again and, and reinstating the, the old empire. And, you know, he very well uh, could try to go into Poland or one of the Balkan states and, and or Baltic states. And then we're going to have potentially, you know, an Article 5 trigger from NATO and we would, could be involved in this. And so the more that we could help uh, the Ukrainian soldiers fight and win, then there's the less chance that our own soldiers would have to go and fight. So you're in favor of this military assistance. So what do you make of the argument from some that say focusing on Ukraine detracts from domestic challenges? Do you agree with that and why or not? Well, I think you can uh, walk and chew gum at the same time. And obviously, we can't just turn a blind eye to this conflict over there. You look back on history, you see what happened in World War II with Hitler went into Poland, we just stood by and watched. We thought, okay, that's gonna t- he's gonna stop there. And then he goes into and further other countries in Europe and pretty soon we're drawn into that so, uh, so war. In, sorry, so interestingly, this is kind of one of the topics where Republicans are differing. You know, it, pretty much a lot of the other topics, abortion gun control, it's pretty much a unified front. Yeah. Ukraine, interestingly, is one where some are not in support of, mm-hmm. of, of supporting either, you know, military support, humanitarian aid. You are on that opposite camp. Why do you think there is this division? Uh, I, I don't know about the why, but I'll say for me, I, as a member of the Armed Services Committee, I had the chance to go and visit Ukraine. And that gives you a different perspective, I think. I've been to the training base on the western side uh, of the country that was bombed about a month ago. I visited with some par- parliamentarians in Kiev, and I was so impressed by them, about 25 of them. They were mostly in their 20s and 30s. They were professionals. They spoke English. They had college degrees. They were entrepreneurs. And what they said made an impression on me. They said, we view ourselves as being the Thomas Jeffersons, the the George Washingtons, the Patrick Henrys of our country. We are embracing freedom and democracy. We are throwing off the authoritarianism of the past. And we want to chart a new future for ourselves and our kids of freedom. And uh, I've gotten to know many of them also are Christians. Uh, I was asked to speak at their national prayer breakfast a few years ago, and then COVID hit, so I wasn't able to do that. But they share our values, um, and I think we need to stand by them as much as we can, while at the same time making sure that we get a hold of inflation here, have energy independence, secure our border. I think we can do both, and we should do both. By the way, Western Ukraine happens to be the ancestral homeland of some of Jason Rosenbaum's relatives. Uh, They actually came from Mykolaiv, which is, you know, a big port on the Black Sea, but it's also a small village in Western Ukraine. That's why I have Sarah ask these questions. (laughs) Now, before we let you go, I want to talk about the issue that I think is like the most difficult issue in America that has been for like the last 200, 300 years, and that's race relations. If you're a member of the U.S. Senate, what are you going to do to bridge divides between the federal government and African-Americans? Well, I think back to my reason I'm running ultimately is because I care. I care about the people of Missouri. And I think visiting with them, hearing them, listening to them is the first and most important thing that I can do to improve understanding and and grow that. Um, You know, I've already met with some uh, African-American communities, uh, private, not tweeted about, not, uh, you know, published, just because I I have a heart. I want to hear. 
I want to learn. And then we can come together because I ultimately believe that we have so much in common. And a lot of the divisions have actually been stoked by media and others. You know, no matter what color skin you have, you want to be able to afford your groceries and you want a better life for your kids. You want a good education. You want to be able to get a raise and have a solid job. Um, and you want to be safe, safe in your community. And so those are things I care about, they care about. We can find that common ground. We can work together. And I think that's, that's the most important thing I want to do. Do you think that this is even an issue that Congress can effectively deal with? And I'm talking about just racism in America. Or is this something that's not yeah. necessarily a no, governmental yeah. thing and it has to be kind of a hearts and minds thing? Or is it a combination of both? Because I mention this because historically there has been systemic governmental barriers that have prevented black people from doing everything that you just mentioned. Is it kind of like a mixture of both governmental action and hearts and minds being changed? Well, I, I think most importantly, it's a heart. It's a heart issue. Um, and then you get to know them and, and hear and, and you can talk about specific policies and if there's a need to change them. But I think most importantly, we just need to start talking to each other. Is there anything in the law enforcement realm that you would advocate for that would bridge some either communication or relationship barriers between the African-American community and, you know, police officers and in individual communities? Um, you know, I, I'm very supportive of law enforcement uh, in my district. We haven't had issues with that. And, you know, these are selfless heroes who have been demonized. And sadly, many of them now are becoming targets of violence. We've had 93 uh, uh, uh type uh, assassination type assaults and uh, killings of law enforcement officers and these are heroes being paid very little most of them are being paid uh, many of them in the 30,000s I mean barely make it for their family and they're going out every day putting their life on the line for others just selflessly working all kinds of weather conditions seeing all kinds of horrific things dealing with things we should be defending them and not defunding them so I think we need to stand with them. If there are isolated incidents of mistreatment or not following protocol or training, you know, those rare bad apples, they need to go. Uh, you know, certainly we need, and I have supported bills that would provide more body cameras, more training, more um, accountability, those type of things. And I think most law enforcement I've talked to support those as yeah, well. We had another guest on the show who mentioned that, like, we could, direct more money for stuff like that, for yeah. training and, and yeah. for, for body cameras. And that could actually be an example of using funding for law mm -hmm. enforcement effectively to do what I just mentioned. Is that is that yeah. a fair assessment? No, I, I agree. Like I said, I've sponsored and supported other bills that would do that. Well, Congresswoman, thank you so much for being peppered with all of our questions. Oh, this is great. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. You can find all of our stories at stlpr.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You can follow Sarah on Twitter at... Sarah Kellogg, two L's, two G's. Okay, so now this is your opportunity to talk about all of Vicki Hartzler's online entities uh, for the <laughs> campaign. I'm assuming you're not on TikTok because Josh Hawley's not a fan of TikTok and he would probably scold you. Oh, but are, uh. are you on Twitter or do you have a website? <laughs> yes, I do have a website, VickiHartzler.com, and it's Vicky with a Y, V-I-C-K-Y, H-A-R-T-Z-L-E-R. -E and I am on Twitter. Uh, no, I'm not on Twitter, but I do have an Instagram, but I don't know the uh, 
the name I should. Uh, but I'm not on Twitter because I've been banned from Twitter because of my first ads. You're you're not on Twitter. I mean, you have like an official congressional Twitter account. I still right? have my official Twitter account, absolutely. But they they sanctioned my campaign Twitter account because of that, and uh, which is sad, you know. They they you know. Yeah, so it's just wrong, but that's the way it is. Um, but yeah, go to VickiHartzler.com. I'd love to have people um, join with me in this mission to save our country. I want a movement of Missourians who are going to rise up and push back on the east and west coasts that are running our country and take our values to the Senate and get us back on the right track. Thank you very much. And until next time, so long.